You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Jesus chose to live a life in opposition to unjust, oppressive cultures. Jesus did not choose the cross, but chose integrity and faithfulness, refusing to change course because of threat. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 259 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is A Refusal to Let Go of Life, and our feature text is Mark 8. 34 he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them if any want to if any want to become my followers let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me in our time there are two ways to define the cross and one defines it as as a passive endurance of abuse and injustice whereas the other defines it as as not being cowed by a violent system that that those in power used to threaten people who stand up and resist and push back uh, uh, abuse or injustice. And you, you, you can look at, uh, for more information on that way of interpreting it, uh, look at last week's article or last week's podcast, The Violence Inherent in the System. Uh, but Jesus's audience it couldn't miss the meaning of his call that we're looking at this week to take up one's cross. Roman crosses had only one connotation, and it and it was used on specifically dissidents. To be passive was to avoid being put on a cross, but to stand up against injustice, that would almost certainly land you on one. The, the cross, therefore, it had a singular political meaning, and, and some scholars even see evidence that the phrase, take up one's cross, that it was used as a rallying cry by Jewish insurgents, um, a, a group whose members were constantly being crucified for that for that activity. And for more information on that, you can look at Ched Meyer's book, Binding the Strongman. It's on pages uh, 245 to 246. But, but Jesus called his followers to nonviolent resistance, yet he also used this specific phrase that the insurgents were using of taking up one's cross. His priority value in his nonviolence was not passive patient endurance, but non-cooperation or resistance and, and dissent. And, and the difference may seem may seem subtle uh, between these two interpretations of the cross, but the results are anything but subtle when one considers the fruit that these interpretations uh, bear in the lives of, of communities who daily face oppression and injustice. This week we're listening to and we're going to learn from uh, voices from a another marginalized community, and that community is women. We're considering the crucifixion event in the in the closing scenes of Jesus of the Jesus story from the perspectives of, of various first-wave feminist theologians and scholars. Uh, let's begin with uh, a classic and, and favorite article of mine, For God So Loved the World. It was by Joan Carlson Brown and Rebecca Parker. And if you've not read it in its entirety, I'll put a link to it this week in this week's e-site. It, 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 it's well worth the time it takes to 
read it, and it, it offers much uh, to contemplate in light of the distinctions that that we're making this week. But this is you can also find it in uh, the book uh, Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. Um, this is from page eighteen, same article, but in this book, it's not the acceptance of suffering that gives life. It is commitment to life that gives life. The question, moreover, is not am I willing to suffer, but do I desire fully to live? This distinction is subtle and to some specious, but in the end, it makes a great difference in how people interpret and respond to suffering. When Jesus called his followers to, and I want us to get this this week, when he called his followers to be willing to take up their crosses, the political context of Roman crosses and and their use means that Jesus wasn't asking them to accept suffering. Rather, he was asking them if they desired to fully live. He was calling them to refuse to let go of their desire to live, to stand up to the injustice and to, and to join him. And whether Jesus spoke of the cross or or whether he used the more veiled imagery of uh, that we find in the Gospels of a baptism or drinking a cup, he never spoke of these experiences as something that he was to do alone. In Mark's Gospel, each time he brings the subject up, he doesn't preach his action or his cross as as substituting for the disciples, but he calls for their participation right alongside his own. Um, and this is uh, Mark 8, 34 through 36. Uh, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, and remember we've talked about this in the past, especially in the article, The Myth of Redemptive Suffering. I'll put a link to it this week. But but wanting to save their life by, by being passive or remaining silent, he says, we'll lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake, and, and, and interpret that as standing up up to injustice and abuse, uh, and for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world? Remember, this is through remaining silent and forfeit their life. And again, in, in Mark 10, 38 through 39, it says, But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We're able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And as we saw last week, at, at this point in the Gospels, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Jerusalem to engage in a temple protest of dissent, and he knows what the outcome may be, and he calls his followers to join him in that. His disciples also, they understand Jesus' call to participate with him, and we know this because every time Jesus brings it up in Mark's gospel, the disciples quickly change the subject. You can see it in Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 10. Had they responded to Jesus positive, positively uh, rather than with denial, Calvary could have included 13 more crosses in addition to Jesus's. The way of interpreting the Jesus story, especially this way, it's important. Jesus taught resistance. And I'll give you an article. I'll give you a link to an article where we've covered this in the past and he saw it as well. Um, he taught resistance rather than passive acceptance of injustice. He taught self-affirmation rather than self-sacrifice. And I'll give you a, a link to an article on that as well. Jesus would not have taught self-sacrifice to a group whose self was already being 
being sacrificed to to uh, by by their oppressors. But he he taught speaking out rather than remaining silent. And as as feminist writers have pointed out, and as we're seeing this week. These distinctions are especially relevant for oppressed communities. One's social location matters. Historically, Christian interpretations that describe Jesus' teachings as as sacrifice of oneself or or patient endurance of abuse and and silent passivity in the face of injustice, these these interpretations have, have produced deeply harmful fruit for women. And consider the following critiques of of traditional theology conducted from empowered social locations. And I also take note that these comments come from theologians who are working from the margins. This is again, Brown and Parker, For God So Loved the World. Women are acculturated to accept abuse. We come to believe that it is our place to suffer. Christianity has been a primary and many women's lives the primary force in shaping our acceptance of abuse. The central image of Christ on the cross as the savior of the world communicates the message that suffering is redemptive. And again, Elizabeth Bettenhausen from the book Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. This is uh, from the introduction page, introductory page uh, 11. Christian theology has long imposed upon women a norm of imitative self-sacrifice based on the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. Powerlessness is equated with faithfulness. When the cross is being interpreted as the salvific work of an all-powerful paternal deity, women's well-being is as secure as that of a child cowering before an abusive father. And again, Mary Daly in her book, Beyond uh, God the Father, page 77, the qualities that Christianity idealizes, especially for women, are also those of a victim. Sacrificial love, passive acceptance of suffering, humility, meekness, etc. Since these are qualities ideal in Jesus who died for our sins, his functioning as a model reinforces the scapegoat syndrome for women. And these critiques, they may challenge some of your theologies very deeply, and, and but that's okay. We need to be willing to consider whether our beliefs, whether our interpretations, whether they're producing life-giving fruit, or, or whether they produce oppression, violence, or injustice. As Jesus followers, we we are called to liberation and, and solidarity with our fellow humans, even when that challenges us to reassess some of our most, our deeply held ways of interpreting the Jesus story. And remember, our sacred stories are eternal. Our interpretations of them, they're not. Our interpretations can change. We can make our interpretations give way to more life-giving interpretations. And in the future, if we discover new interpretations also do harm, we can process them again. Remember, the, the goal is always Life. That's the goal of the gospel. And I, and I want to take a moment now to, to caution to some of our followers who are interested in, in, in specific atonement theories. As we read critiques from the margins, like we're doing last week and this week and again next week, we can't pride ourselves in the fact that, that we don't subscribe to, to more violent interpretations of Jesus's crucifixion. And, and I'm talking about specifically penal substitutionary atonement. Two popular classical replacements for penal substitutionary atonement are the moral influence theory and Christus Victor. 
And some say, well, and they let themselves off the hook saying, well, I don't subscribe to, to PSA or penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, I believe in moral influence theory or Christus Victor. But I want you to consider this week that even these two alternatives, they're not immune to the critiques that we're considering this week from our sister theologians. First, consider the interpretation of Jesus' death uh, through, through uh, moral influence theory. Uh, this is, again, Christianity, Patriarch and Abuse, page 20, Brown and Parker. The problem with this theology is that it asks people to suffer for the sake of helping evildoers see their evil ways. That's that moral influence. It puts concern for the evildoers ahead of concern for the victim of evil. It makes victims the servants of the evildoers' salvation. And next, I want you to consider the interpretation of Jesus' death as as redemptive in the context of of the Christus Victor narrative. Some people subscribe to that, and I used to also. So, but uh, this is again Brown and Parker for God so loved the world. The believer whose thoughts and feelings have been shaped by a tradition that teaches or ritualizes in liturgy the Christus Victor view may interpret her or his suffering in this light. In response to suffering, it will be said, be patient, something good will come of this. And whatever we choose to believe about Jesus' crucifixion, this week, one of the point that I'm making is I believe we must stay grounded in the insights that we discussed last week. The cross was the response of those in power uh, to Jesus as he refused to be silent in the face of the injustice that he saw, uh, specifically that he saw com- committed against the vulnerable. He, he acted for justice and he was killed for it. Remember the wise words of, of both Brown and Parker. And this is Christianity, Patriarchy and Abuse again, page 27. Jesus chose to live a life in opposition to unjust, oppressive cultures. Jesus did not choose the cross, but chose integrity and faithfulness, refusing to change course because of threat. And and, and I want to close this week with, with Elizabeth Bettenhausen's story of a, a classroom exercise of changing the genders of the Jesus story. And, and reading her experience, I remember it forever changed my own reading of the Jesus story. And I want to share it with you this week. Several years ago, I asked a group of seminarians to choose New Testament stories about Jesus and rewrite them, imagining that Jesus had been female. The following recreation of the passion story of Luke 22, 54 through 65, was one woman's knowing by heart. They arrested the Christ woman and led her away to the council for questioning. Some of her followers straggled along to find out what was to become of her. There were seven women and two men followers. The men followers were there mainly to keep watch over their sisters. Someone from among the crowd asked a question of a man follower. Haven't I seen you with this woman? Who is she? What is your relationship with her? He replied defensively. She's a prostitute. She's had many men. I've seen her with many. The men who were guarding the Christ woman slapped her around, made fun of her. They told her to use magic powers to stop them. They blindfolded her and each them, each of them in turn raped her and afterward jeered. Now, prophetess, who is in you? Which one of us? Tell us that. They continued to insult her. 
And that was that student that wrote that was named Candace Joyce. After this story was read aloud, a silence surrounded the class and made us shiver. Ever since, I have wondered, would women ever imagine forming a religion around the rape of a woman? Would we ever conjure gang rape as a salvific event for other women? What sort of God would such an event Reveal and again, that's also in Christianity, Patriarch and Abuse, pages, uh, introductory pages, uh, page eleven through twelve. Uh, Candace Joyce, uh, the one who who wrote that exercise in Luke, I think she correctly perceives the intensity of of rape and and the shock of using it in this way as analogous to the the intensity of being executed by crucifixion, the way that the Romans used it in their day. And all of these women scholars, they're calling us to embrace the reality in both our lives and in our interpretations of our sacred stories that suffering is never redemptive. Suffering, even Jesus's, it cannot be redeemed. Brown and Parker remind us the cross is a sign of tragedy. God's grief is revealed there, and everywhere and every time, life is thwarted by violence. But violent theologies, remember, they, 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 they've had devastating effects on the lives of, of vulnerable people, and that's why we're discussing this this week, specifically the lives of women. And the reality is, is that victimization, it never leads to triumph. Regardless of what our fairy tales and our interpretations of our sacred stories, regardless of what all those things tell us, victimization, even when survived, it can lead to, to even greater pain if it's not rejected and fought. When we fail to refuse abuse, abuse kills a person's sense of, of power, a uh, sense of worth, uh, and a sense of dignity. And, and lastly, passive patient endurance of abuse, it can lead to actual death. It's not hyperbole this week to say that how we choose to interpret Jesus's words, ha, ha, that those interpretations have life and, and death importance. Next week, we're going to look at some alternative ways of interpreting the the closing events of of Jesus's life the uh, and his execution from uh, a womanist scholars so tune in for that but we'll close with Mark 8:34 he called the crowd with the with his disciples and said to them if any want to become my followers let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me remember how we interpret those words uh, is is vitally important but heart group application this past week Jamel Miles who and it breaks my my heart to even share this, but he's a nine year. He was a nine year old boy in the fourth grade at Joe Shoemaker Elementary School in Denver, Colorado. He committed suicide as a result of being bullied by his classmates for coming out as gay. I, I too have a a ten year old son who's in the fifth grade this year, and this story hits home for me. I can't imagine. My life without my son. Leah Pierce, who's, who's Jamel's mother, she spoke out. We have to stop bullying and teach people it's okay to love each other. We have to stop hating each other for differences, differences that make us equal and unique. So this week, in your heart group, share some ways that your experience in heart group has, has challenged you to see our human differences as the rich 
and diverse variety within a humanity that bears the image of the divine, rather than those differences making us less than? And, and how have you encountered experiences of life that are different from your own in your heart group? And, and how have these encounters helped you to move beyond fear and insecurity in relation to those who are, are different than you? And then number two, as a group, I want you to list some ways that you can actively lean into the beautiful experience experiences of seeing each person as made in the image of God, a a testament of the the rich diversity seen in humanity and and actively move further toward a more meaningful, non-homogenous yet coherent view of our world and and the life that we together as human siblings uh, live in it. And, And how can you more deeply love one another as yourselves. Pick something number three uh, from that list this week and, and then do it. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are today, keep living in love, in survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation till the only world that remains is a world where only love, justice, and compassion reigns. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. 